the Lord. Good to be at a place where God can speak to us. Not relying on Brother Ed this morning, we're relying on the Lord. He's faithful. Where two or three will gather in His name, He is there in our midst. Why don't you greet your neighbor next to you, shake hands, wish him God's blessing. As you sit up here and you hear these little, it's really interesting. It's good to watch, actually. <laughs> Amen. Good to be a Christian this morning. Amen. I, I think I saw Brother Mark uh, Junio pull up. Is he here? Is he here? He's here. Sister Nona here today? She's there too. Okay, so, so he, last week about this time, or just slightly before, it was actually March the 10th. So... Um, they had a little angel, another little angel, come into their family, Angelica. And uh, he texted me and he says, she weighs 3,200 grams. <laughs> That's 3.2 kilograms. One time I was making an announcement and I, 
I said 9.8 kilograms. I meant pounds. But anyway, that translates to 6.614 pounds since he was exact with the 3,200. Amen. God bless you. We're happy for you. <laughs> Amen. Another girl in that family. Uh, it's wonderful. A little report from Sister Susan. I think you had another testimony earlier, but uh, she has a sister in the, in the Philippines who was supposed to undergo surgery with many health complications because of her age. She had gallstones, kidney stones, vitamin D issues, and they were advising against surgery. Well, it turned out they did some tests and different things, and they were praying, and they were texting, and between the family and everything, the doctor comes and says, no, we just looked at it, and we don't need to do the surgery. There's another way of doing it. So it, it, God was beginning to move. She had another nephew named Ralph who had issues. But while they were texting and then the family and all of this, she has, um, there's a, um, a brother who's been listening, and he hasn't been converted. And he's hearing all of this, and he's watching what God is doing. He's saying, I need to be baptized. Yeah. So he became, and he was baptized. So we thank God for what he's doing. You know, sometimes these things come, and, but the storms come, and sometimes it, it shows God in the midst of the storm. Amen. We also want to remember Brother Len Hildebrandt, who's not well. He's not with us today. We want to remember him in prayer. We also want to remember uh, Brother Thomas and Sister Catherine. Their son, Justice, has been uh, under influence of some, some spirits that have been working. He had to be hospitalized. He's in the hospital right now. We went and we were with them on Friday night. Brother Max was there yesterday, and we just want to remember them. But the enemy is trying to come and gain a foothold, but God is greater than all of these things. So we're going to remember him in prayer as we pray this morning as well. Let's just, uh, let's just sing a chorus as we just uh, change the order a little bit, and let's just sing um, grace, grace, God's grace. It's only God's grace that we're here today that He allowed the word to come our way. Let's sing this. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, oh, grace, grace, God's Stop. 
play softly and we prepare to pray. If you have need of that grace this morning, I raise my hand. We just want God's grace bestowed upon us today. Maybe you have a particular need and you just want to lift your hands on that behalf. Our Lord hears. Heavenly Father, this morning we've now come to the part of the service where we invite you, the Holy Spirit, to take the center stage. We know, Lord, that you use men, you use gifts, but Lord, it's not men in their intellect, it's not men in themselves, not in their learning, not in their ability, but Lord, it's what you've bestowed. And this morning, we're depending on you to be the speaker. We're depending on you to open the bread of life to us. We're depending on you, O oh Lord, to open our ears, that we may hear the things that God is saying. Father, we give this service into your hands. We thank you for the singing, for the specials. We thank you for everyone that's here. We thank you for the message in this last day. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. Lord, we come today and we thank you for the report of our sister Susan. Lord, we want to remember the situations back home in the Philippines for her. Lord, we remember the the, the, the request of Brother Andrew for his mother out east. We commit them into your hands. And Lord, this morning we remember justice before you, Father. The enemy would try to gain a foothold, but Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come against every working of the enemy. And Lord, we're asking you, come to the room where he's at. Oh, Father, bring clarity of mind. Lord, may every spirit be loosed, and may the Spirit of God, come in a greater way than ever before. Father, we commit them, the family, in your hands. Remember our brother Len at home this morning. Well, Lord, we remember him. And now, Lord, as we open the word, we invite you to take this service. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been a little lengthy. Let's go directly to the word. You've been standing for a moment or two. We'll just have you stand a little more while I remain standing for the rest of the service. Just had to put that in there in case you're getting weary. Luke chapter 21. Let's go there, if you will, please. Nice to have many different faces here this morning. We welcome you. And nice to have many familiar faces. We welcome you. And uh, Luke 21, let's start reading in verse 10. This is also a portion of Scripture that would be paralleled in Matthew 24, but we're going to read from Luke. There's a couple of things that way that Luke brings it here. Verse 10, then said he unto them, no, no, sorry. Then said he unto them, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs there shall there be from heaven. Let's just drop down to verse 22. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Just, just I'm going to be repeating that a couple of times about fulfillment. That all things which are written may be fulfilled, but woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led away 
captive unto all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there was an allotted time for the Jews. There's an allotted time for the Gentiles. Let's continue reading verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Does that describe a little bit of the world around us? I believe it does. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass. So there, there's a period where they're, they're beginning, they're starting, and the Bible says when they begin to come to pass. So there's a start and there'll be an end. We are, I, we believe, coming to the ushering in of a tribulation period. And we want to be mindful of the season that we're in. But it says when these things begin to come to pass, then... Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. We believe that's coming. And he spake unto them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees. The fig tree is represented as Israel, and all the trees will be all the nations. Now, when they shoot forth, you know and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, a number of times in this reading, it has been speaking on the fulfillment of all things. I want to speak this morning on the generation of the fulfillment. But I'm, I'm going to be asking a, a question, what is the attraction today? I want to just read, Jesus says all of these things, but I want to read three more verses. Because he tells them all of these things, and then he gives them this in verse 34. He says... Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. God bless his word. You may have your seats. Now, it was a similar passage in Matthew 24. Jesus was asked three questions by his disciples. They, 
Jesus was talking to them of the temple that was, and he said there'll come a time when the temple, this temple that all the Jews went to, he said that the stone will not be unturned. In other words, the stones would be dismantled. And the disciples said, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And what of the end of the world? So they asked him these questions, and, and if you break that down, there are succinct time periods to each answer. But I want to focus, focus a little bit, if I can, on this, because Jesus, uh, God has always had a plan since, since from the beginning of the world, and even though Satan came and interrupted that program, God has a plan of redemption. God has a plan where there's going to be a judgment on all the things of the earth, but he has a plan, and it's mysterious sometimes, and it's not always known, but he wants us to be in expectation. He wants us to be looking. He does not want us to, to be caught unawares. He wants us to be ready, and he's saying as a snare this would come at the end of the world. It's going to come on the whole world. Well, we want to be watching. We want to be looking. There's different parables that, that Jesus would speak, and uh, we could go into them, but I'll, I'll focus this way, and, and I'm going to take a little bit of a time just to go into it, but I want us to be thinking on these things. Now, the times of distress that are among the nations, the signs in the heavens, the you know, men's hearts are fearing. And he tells us that we might not be in distress, but that we could lift up our heads knowing our redemption is nigh. Now, he also draws a comparison between the Jews and the Gentiles. So if, if we look at it, and I want to speak on generation, and I'll come to this in a moment. But God has had a period of time that he dealt with the Jews. And that period of time was first identified in the, by the prophet Daniel. Daniel, he would say, he would reference it as 70 weeks were allotted to the Jews. 70 weeks of years. So 70 weeks times 7 years is 490 years God would deal with the Jews. And he would, would highlight these things in the book of Daniel. We won't go to it today. But in the middle of the last week, in the middle of the last seven-year time frame, there would be three and a half years, and then there would be another three and a half years, but in the middle of that, there would be an interruption. So that interruption would be when time for the Jews would cease, but that's when the Gentiles would be grafted in. Now, we, we, we're going to be looking at both the Old and the New Testament and bringing them together today. But if you want to look, sometimes we, we have a tendency or thinking can be among men is that, well, that's the Old Testament. That's back then. That's to the Jews. Well, God actually spoke of the Gentiles. And God spoke of the Gentiles back in the Old Testament. And he would talk in the prophet Isaiah about that the time the Gentiles would rise and he would make reference to them. 
And, and in fact, he would come right down to the book of Malachi chapter 4, and, and it would talk about how at the very end there would be a God that would come, uh, you know, the last book of the Old Testament, the last verses, talking about the end of the world, talking about God coming not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles. And then you just flip the page and you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you begin to read the genealogy of Jesus. And for the, in the genealogy, there are four women mentioned in the genealogy. There is Tamar, there is Rahab, there is Ruth, there is Bathsheba. But out of those women, there are some of them that are Gentiles. And they are in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God was going to have a place for the Gentiles. Now, I'm bringing this to a place because the times of the Gentiles are coming to an end. There will be a generation that will be the final fulfillment to the generation, that to the Gentiles, that's where we're living. Even now, Israel is gathering in their land. God is getting ready to deal with the Jews one more time again. So the times of the Gentiles is over. Let's, let's read Matthew 13, if we can. Let's go there. Matthew 13. And I, I, I trust that we can recognize sometimes the word is mysterious and, and it's hidden, but God does it that way in a per, in, in, on purpose, but he wants to re- reveal it to us. And I think he said in... One thing, one place in Proverbs, it says, it's uh, the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to search it out. So Matthew 13, Jesus is talking uh, to, let's just read verse 11 first if we can. And he, he, answers, he speaks to him about why, why do you speak to us in parables? And he answered and said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but, un- but to them it is not given. So God is known in shadows, in types, in simplicity, and, and, and he wants to make himself known. He wants to bring us to a place where we're ready for what he wants to do. So in verse 16 it says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which you hear, but have not heard them. Now I want you to think about the Gentile dispensation that's just been the last 2,000 years. And think about the men of God that were used, how there was a Paul and then there was an Irenaeus and you know, there, there was uh, Martin Luther, there was Wesley. These were men, uh, even under the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, there were men, there was a man named Frank Bartleman who had a great dialogue. And Frank Bartleman, you know, there was a progression of God and, and they recognized that, that God was moving and doing things, but they saw things afar off, but they themselves did not get to them. And it was Bartleman that said, in the midst of the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost in 1906, he said, there will be one more move of God. 
And he began to look ahead. So if those men, if they would sit where we're sitting today, they desired to see the day that we're living in. David, the old men of God, David desired to see the day that we are living in. And if we could recognize the day we're living in, we are living in the greatest day for the fulfillment of prophecy and of Scripture. I'll tell you what, if David was here in the front row of one of these seats, he would not be just sitting there, well, nice service, Brother Ed. No, David would be saying, preach it! We're here! It's the time! It's the season! And we are living in that time. Now, I, I, if, I, if I can just, just move this a little bit. So, it is a season, and I want us to be, just maybe I want to establish some principles just as we, we move forward here, because... God is, is wanting us to be prepared. Now, there's two books in the Bible that are always mysterious. One is the book of Genesis, and one is the book of Revelation. I'm not going to try to preach from Genesis to Revelation this morning, but I do want to refer to Genesis. So if you can turn to Genesis 1 with me for a moment. Genesis 1, I just want to drop in a couple of principles, and then I want to take some specific fulfillment of Scripture, if I can. So Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So it always takes the moving of the Spirit. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, the principle here is that we don't know how long it took for light to come forth. You know, we can say that was the sun. There is a natural light, but there's also a spiritual light. And, 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 and there was different manifestations of light. There was stars, and there was things in the heavens. Genesis will go on and, and repeat this again. But the point being is, God watches over his word, and he brings it to pass. And how do we recognize it? Because he fulfills it. Now, he goes down in verse 6 and 7. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And he made a firmament. firmament and and I, he says, and divided the waters which are under the firmament. So, in other words, here God was setting, he calls the firmament heaven in verse 8. The firmament, so here's God setting the framework. There's light, there's going to be the heavens. Then he goes down on further in verse 10, oh sorry, verse 9. Let the waters be gathered to one place and the dry land appeared. So he's now setting the infrastructure in place. He's, he doesn't need to go and recreate the sun. He doesn't need to recreate the heavens. He doesn't need to recreate the, the earth, these things were brought into place. But we come down to verse 11, and now there's a principle of the ongoing creation of God. And I'm going to read, just focus on this. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. 
So we're living in a great day where there's a lot of hybriding, where there's a lot of crossing lines, where, you know, there, there's a, it's hard to find a definition between a man and a woman according to the governments and the laws of the land and what the science are saying. But God's original definition was there was an order, and as long as everything stayed in that order, it would bring forth after its kind. Now, in that seed was the power to reproduce itself or to generate out of itself more of the same kind. So God didn't have to go and create every single flower that was, every single tree, but he created it knowing that there would be a natural reproduction. And God's law of reproduction is still in work today. So, in other words... We we don't see everything at once, but sometimes, you know, even as it was in seven church ages for the Gentiles, the end of one age paved the way for the next generation. And and we finally come, we're going to come to a final generation. So I'm, I'm using this as a principle. There's an aspect of creation that is ongoing. And it is by what God has initiated and put into motion to generate, to keep generating the seed. To generate means to cause something to arise or to come about, to produce or develop. Now verse 14, he would go on and say, let there be lights in the heavens. And I'll read this one. He said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So these lights and these, these seasons, time has not, had not yet come in, but God was going to, time was going to, they were still living in an eternal realm, but the dimension of time was going to be there. God knowing that we would look at things that the way the stars are, that was God's first Bible, and it would have signs, Job would refer to it, and all of this would be for the movement and in, in the ushering in of what we call time. Now, you could go on, verse 20, he would talk about sea life and the birds bringing forth. Verse 24, about the earth and the beasts bringing forth. Verse 27, finally he comes to man, and he tells man that they'll come forth, repli- replenish, multiply, be fruitful, you know, take over, subdue the earth. So this was the generation, this is what 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 had been generated collectively under a time span. Now, I'm, I'm, I just needed to, to sort of set that forth because the, the Word of God is eternal. It was always written in heaven. And God had in His mind the eternal plan of God. He wrote it in the stars, first of all. He wrote it in Enoch's pyramid, which is the Great Pyramid. And he wrote it in his word. So, so we are, when we read the word, this is not just a collection of thoughts and poems. This is the eternal word of God. The Bible is 66 different books, 40 different authors. They dovetail, dovetail together. One, one links with another one. It's, it's not the work of man. It's the work of God. It is God 
authoring what he will do, but out of that, he also needs to shed light on it at different times, at different seasons, that we may understand where we fit in this plan. So Genesis 2 then comes forth, man on the earth. Genesis 3, there is the fall of man, but in verse 8, it has this interesting scripture, and it says they heard, this is Adam and Eve after the fall, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now it's moving in the cool of the day. So the word of God is always moving, it is always unfolding, and I would say there are junctions, there are times, there are seasons. As the prophet would speak a message in 1964, and he would talk about shalom, and he would, he, in the message shalom, and he would talk about the symphony, and how that a symphony, you know, if you know the, the composition, the composer, and then there's a director, and then there are players, but to those who know the composition, to those who are acquainted with the sheet music, they are looking for it. And I, I, I've never been a classical guy. I, I, I shared with you before here how I was in eastern Canada for a while. And I, you know, I was a young man and I was working in Ottawa. And I had a landlady at that time. And um, you know, she talked to me and she just said, have you ever been to a symphony? And I said, no. Well, she was horrified that some Albertan or some redneck Albertan had never been to a symphony. So she took me to a symphony. And I went to the symphony, and, and it was great. It was like there's all these people, and there's everybody who's in it. You know, and, and I, I confess I was falling asleep for part of it because it hit a lull. But all of a sudden, bang, and everybody stood up, and I, I'm just sitting there. What happened? Well, I wasn't ready for it. Well, God wants us to be ready. God wants us to understand what he's doing. So what God would do in order to get us ready, he would establish what we call prophecy. And prophecy would be the foretelling of events to come. And God would foretell events in the heavens. He would put signs. But then he would use in particular prophets. So God has always operated through that channel. Now, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of time and go in that direction this morning. And, and I, I need you just to stay with me. I'm going to use a little bit of PowerPoint here in a few minutes. But let's just go to Exodus chapter 3 for a moment. Exodus chapter 3. This may be preliminary and elementary, but I really want to get to something. So I need to just establish a little bit of this as a background. Now, now this is, God had spoken to Abraham, and in the, in the beginning God had a covenant with Adam and Eve, and it was, you do this, and I'll do this. But man could not keep that covenant, so then God calls Abraham, and he tells Abraham, I'm going to call you, I'm going to bring you into a land, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to do these things for you, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to do this. And Abraham had nothing to do with it. It was what we call the grace covenant. So Abraham was a part of that. Now, it was not just to Abraham, but also to his seed after him. 
So God was going to impart grace to a people on the earth, and it would be with Abraham. It would be a man who was an idol worshiper. God would pick him up. He would take him out, and that blessing would follow through. It would follow through in Isaac. It would follow through in Jacob, and it would follow through in Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and that covenant would be with them. And at the very beginning, God tells Abraham, your seed shall sojourn in a strange land for 400 years. But afterwards, I will bring them out with a mighty hand. And he would talk about a time or a generation, and he says that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. In other words, it couldn't happen until a certain season. So now this season is coming into play. And, and Israel had been into bondage. Moses kills an Egyptian. He was raised up properly. He runs in the backside of a desert. He sees a burning bush. And then God begins to speak to Moses. So in, 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 in chapter, in, in, in Exodus 3, verse 8, it, it goes to say this. Well, let's start in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of taskmasters. I know their sorrows. Now look, notice the terminology. And I am come down. God had come down as a fulfillment to what he had promised Abraham. God backs his word. It was four Hebrew children, or three, that were going into a, uh, a fire one day because they would not bow down to what the king of that land had said. And they went, and, and the king said, will you recant? He says, no, we won't recant. He says, we know whatever. If, if God chooses to deliver us, we cannot. And even if he doesn't, we're still going in. Well, it was God that came down. And there was four men in the fire. It wasn't three anymore. That same God is with us today. He is not very far from us. He showed it to Abraham. He showed it to the Hebrew children. He has been faithful in every generation. Now, so here he's telling Moses, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. No, so he's come down to what? bring deliverance, and to bring them into a good land flowing with milk and honey. And he tells them, and in that land you're going to find Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. So, in other words, don't be scared of these things. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. And then Moses begins to argue a little bit with God and, and, and saying, you know, who am I? You know, what a, what a change in attitude. Moses, who thought he could deliver them himself, but now after 40 years in the backside of a desert, he said, who am I? And, and you know, and, and he's beginning to talk, and down to, to verse 14, and God said to Moses, when he, when he tells him, what shall I say? Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am, the I am, the eternal one hath sent me unto you. And so he begins to tell him that. Let's just drop over to chapter 4. In, in verse 10, Moses begins to complain, I, I don't have very good speech. And, and God tells him, maybe Dan, let's just take from verse 12. God tells him, now therefore go, 
and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. Now, God would take a man who didn't have very good uh, grammar. They said Moses had a speech impediment. They say he didn't, didn't, couldn't speak, but God says, I want you to speak on my behalf. You know, God is the same in all generations. It was when Jesus came, Jesus did not speak. He spoke the language of the common people. It was a dialect. It wasn't a high-class dialect. But God speaks at a level that we can all hear him and we can understand him. Now in verse 14, God was angry with Moses because he kept arguing, I, I can't do it, send somebody else. And, and he says, uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And behold, he comes forth to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Verse 15, and thou shalt speak with him and put words in his mouth. Now Moses was the mouth the, 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 where the vessel of God would come to, but that mouthpiece would also distribute to Aaron, who was of the Levites. And he says, And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. Now this is God's program. I'm, I'm, this, you might say, Brother Ed, this is elementary. I know all this. I know you do. But maybe your children don't know. Maybe somebody else doesn't know. I think we need to appreciate the things we've got. Now, I, I won't read all of these scriptures, but God brings them out with a mighty hand, finally brings them into Mount, unto Mount Horeb. They come to the mountain, and God is there in the mountain, and it's thundering, and it's lightnings, and it's all kinds of things, and the people say, don't let God speak, let Moses speak. And God says, that's right, that's the way I want to do it. I want to use that. And that became God's program. So he would use prophets. Turn with me to Amos chapter 3. We read part of this on Wednesday when we spoke on a true agreement. Amos chapter 3. So Amos here, I, maybe let's just... Uh, Let's drop down to verse 4. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where there is no gin? That's a trap for him. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? So God's asking questions. And usually when God asks questions, you will know the answer. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people shall not be the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord has not done it? Now he, he comes down to this. This is Amos, one of the prophets. He says, "Surely, the Lord God will do nothing, but He reveals His secret unto His servants, the prophets." So that's God's way of dealing with things. Now, I, if, if we could catch that principle, you know, we all love to hear from God. People will say, oh, I, I, I heard from God the other day. I believe God speaks to us. Maybe not with an audible voice. Maybe you hear it. But God's primary way of dealing is through the prophets. And, 
And that was what he established. So he says, the lion has roared, who cannot fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So this is God's principle that he has always established. Now, I'm, I'm going to turn here in a moment to the, the PowerPoint. We have over the last couple of years when we had COVID and such, we weren't able to go and witness on the streets and such. So the Lord laid it on, on Brother Andrew's heart, on our hearts, and some of the young ministers, Brother John and Brother uh, Max and, and Brother Tito also was part of this, and began to do a podcast, which was the introduction of the message. And it was really a wonderful thing because it's funny, you, 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 God makes things real and you forget what's real, but as you go back and say, this is a great thing. So it's been a real wonderful time. So some of what I'm going to do today will actually be maybe touching on some of that a little bit. So I'm going to take this, and you can maybe just dim the backlight here, Brother Allen. So just in the vein of where I've been going. So Deuteronomy 18, this is now, Deuteronomy is the book that God is saying Moses is in the last month of his time on earth. Moses is about to pass off the scene. Moses has been the prophet that God spoke to, that led the children of Israel out and also brought them in. And Moses is telling this generation that's coming, he's saying, the Lord thy God will raise unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me. Unto him shall you hearken. According to all, now he goes back to what happened in Exodus uh, 19 and 20, according to all that you desired of the Lord God in Horeb in the day of assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great any fire anymore that I die not, and the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that they've spoken. So this is what the people wanted. And God said, that's a good thought because that's how I want to do it. So it was always God's intent to make himself plain. When he spoke to Moses, it was in a burning bush. But when God spoke to Israel after that, it was through Moses. It was with signs and wonders following it was with a gift that he could show. I, I'm not speaking of my own. I'm speaking of God. Moses was a vindicated prophet. One of the greatest things that you can do to have eyesight is believe, I, I'll say it this way, is have 2020 vision. 2020, yeah, I, I don't have it. I, you know, I take this off and I don't have it. But 2020 vision, according to the Bible, is 1 Chronicles 20, verse 20. Believe his prophets and so shall you prosper. Jesus would go on to say, if you receive him whom I send, you receive me. In the days of Noah, to have salvation and come into the ark, you had to hear Noah's voice. In the days of Moses, to come out of Egypt and to come into the promised land, you had to hear uh, you had to hear the voice of Moses, and it wasn't just the voice of Moses. So now Moses is telling, I'm passing off, but there's something coming. So now God is setting an order of how he's going to do things. 
Now he says, I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass, whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Is it important to hear God's prophet? Absolutely. Amen. We want to hear it. Now, we can draw some dialogues. I think sometimes it's good for our, our children, and, and, and we're all like little children. But we can take whatever image we have of Moses, and this is taken from, obviously, the Ten Commandments, but Moses the prophet, and we can view a prophet as something way back with a robe and sandals and, and a staff and all of that, but Moses was more than a prophet. He was also the one that God spoke to in a way like he'd spoken to no one else. And so Moses would come, and he was the one who received the Ten Commandments and brought them down to Israel. And it was, again, Moses was the one that was going to be a type of not just prophets, but Moses was in particular identifying the Messiah that would come. So I want to take this now. In Deuteronomy 34, this is the last verse of Deuteronomy, and as Moses passes off, it says, There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom God knew face to face. So there was prophets that were identified in the Old Testament. You could take, there was major prophets, there was minor prophets. There was Elijah, there was Elisha, there was uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah who said, God spoke to him in Jeremiah chapter 1 and said, I ordained thee a prophet from the womb. And, 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 and I, uh, Jeremiah, I wouldn't want to be a prophet that was a prophet like unto him. You know, we were, we were out yesterday and we had some issues with our sound at the young people's service on Friday. Well, not with our sound, but with our internet. And so what happens? The first thing, something's working. Who do you call up? The sound techs. And, and when the sound techs can't get it, well, everybody's upset and we can't get it. You know, we were out yesterday and I was talking to a brother and, and, and then he, somebody had asked the question, how is it being a pastor, Brother Ed? He says, is, is it something you, you really desire? He said, well, I'd rather be a pastor than a sound tech. And, 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 he, <laughs> and he said, well, that's true. He says, but I, I, I'm looking at you, and I, I'd rather be a sound tech than a pastor, he says. So. so we all have our place. But you know, the prophets, not all of them had glamorous positions. You know, it was Jeremiah who had to tell them, if you don't listen, you're going into captivity. And he had to tell him, and he was the weeping prophet. And you read the lamentations of Jeremiah. He was, it was something that, that he couldn't stop. It was a fire in his bones. There was Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was referred to as the son of man or the prophet. And, and, and Ezekiel, he, would, he, he had to prophesy. You know, and it was Ezekiel that had good prophecies too. You know, these bones, dry bones, these dry bones are going to speak again. They're going to they're come together. So the prophets lived strange lives. So if you think, and I, I use this as a representation of Jeremiah, but there was also in the New Testament, there was prophets. There was John on the Isle of Patmos, and he received the book of Revelations. It was prophets that God would use. And, and this is from the mes message, Christ is revealed in his own word. Prophets did not always understand what they were writing or what they were saying, or in no wise would they would they have said it if they understood it? Could you imagine Jer uh, Isaiah? He's just under the inspiration. He just pens it down. A virgin shall conceive. And he's, 
this is tremendous. And he wakes up the next morning. What did I write? But he couldn't take it back. God had spoken it to him. And the prophet is not the author. He's the scribe. He's the vessel that God is using. So it's not just a man that you hear when you hear that. So it says they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God in sundry times and diverse manners spake to the prophets that were moved by the Holy Ghost. In all ages the people who were spiritual consulted the prophets about the times and what was to happen. The prophet writer must be in constant fellowship with the author. He must live constantly in the presence of the author to know what the book is going to be. He had to be ready any time. Constant fellowship, ready to strike down whatever he said. He had to be separated from his brethren. That's why the prophet had his mind set constantly on what God said, not what man thought, not what the age thought, what the church thought, or what the kingdom thought, but what God thought. Yeah. Friends, I, I don't, you know, we, we, we can go to the nine spiritual gifts. And out of the nine spiritual gifts, there are gifts of wisdom. There are gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues, and speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. There's, there's gift of miracles. There's different gifts that are there. And, and the gift of prophecy, it's a gift that can be given, but it's not like the prophetic office itself. It can fall on this person one time, and it can fall on another one the other time. God promised that those gifts would be part of the church. But the prophet, the, the, the gifts according to Ephesians 5.4, which are four ministerial gifts. There's a prophets, there's apostles, there is, there is pastors and teachers and evangelists. Those are gifts that were ordained from before the foundation of the world. They are different gifts. And even the prophets themselves, there were prophets that arose and that they were there. They were there to fulfill the general order of what God said. I will speak through prophets. Hear what they have to say. But there were other prophets that were major prophets that were identified in the scripture. So when Moses is speaking here and he's speaking, God will raise up a prophet. Now it is beginning to speak about not just a prophet just showing up. Because there was prophets like Malachi, there was prophets like, 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 like Joel, there was others in the Bible that would be there. But now, this is a prophet God is beginning to draw attention to because the Word has already identified him. So it was identifying a prophet like unto me, which was going to be Jesus. So the prophet had to express these thoughts. I'm, I'm bringing this for a purpose. These prophets were bold. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's why they became bold. They wrote the infallible word of God. Now, I, I just want to say something. In one place, uh, it, it, it's been taught, a prophet doesn't just uh, foresee by inspiration, but it's like God brings him up and shows him the word for the age and the time he's living in, and he comes down and he brings it to the people. Now, it, it may have looked strange for Isaiah to say some of the things he said. It may have been strange for us to hear some of the things we did in this age. I remember the first time I heard the message and I heard, you know, about, about you know, Elvis and, 
and the Beatles and, and the different things. And, and then I heard Pat Boone. I thought, well, what's Pat Boone? He's, he's a nice guy. Well, Pat Boone doesn't turn out to be such a nice guy if you look at where he's at today. But the spirit of prophecy shows these things coming to pass. And friends, the Bible tells us that the age we live in, 1 Timothy chapter 3, men shall be lovers of themselves. They shall be deceivers. They won't be true. They'll be, they'll be caught up. This, and you go through these things. That's exactly where we're coming to. It's, it, it's not like it was 50 years ago. It's changing all the time. But the Bible is true. Now, let me just move forward. So I'm, I'm using these elements, but let's just take the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah actually was a prophet that, that would call a major prophet. He took the whole Bible. 66 chapters in Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible. The beginning of Isaiah is the very beginning and, and, and talks about the end. He's actually speaking about the millennium. So it's a parallel of everything God is about to do. So Isaiah was the prophet. He would live in the presence of God. God would speak to him. He'd begin to write. And it was Isaiah that prophesied, a virgin shall conceive. So he's looking and he's catching an image. He writes it down. But God is foretelling him what's going to come. So you go further. Isaiah would look at not only the, the virgin that would conceive, but he would read Isaiah 53. Talk about the sacrifice that was coming. Who will declare his generation? He was like a, a sheep led to the slaughter. And it would talk, he suffered like no man suffered. Speaking of Christ. Friends, it takes God to reveal his word. If you go in the, Old, in the New Testament, it was in the book of Acts that there was a Philip... Uh, uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch was coming and he was reading the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and it had just happened a few, whatever, a year or two earlier. Uh, Christ had died and he's reading the scripture of Isaiah. He doesn't understand what he's reading. And here comes Philip, one of the disciples. God sends him away and he joins to him. And, and the guy asks him, who is this prophet talking about? And he begins to declare him about Jesus. He begins to declare. And as he declares, something strikes this man. And he says, I need to be baptized. There's water here. Something's happening. And he, what, but he couldn't understand it himself. God has to interpret his word. And the seed comes through the body. The seed is in the body. It generates through the body. If we could recognize that. We're carriers. We all are carrying the seed of God. So Isaiah is writing that. Now, Isaiah also writes this. He says, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for the Lord. Now, if we would have read that in today's terms, Okay, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make a highway. Well, let's bring a paving crew out here. Let's level this. Let's pave a highway. Let's do this. This is how it's going to be done. Well, they didn't have that in back that day, but they must have thought, yeah, you know, there's a carpet going to come down from heaven. God's going to come. They're going to roll out the carpet, and he's going to be there. That would have been our thoughts. Be honest. We, we always think one thing, and God has a different way. And now the second part of the prophecy is, Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. The rough places made plain. 
Wow, this is going to be tremendous. The valleys, you know, shall be lifted up. The mountains shall be brought low. The crooked. We, we would have all kinds of pictures about what's going on. But the fulfillment of this prophecy was different than what was thought. Now, it's, it was to talk about someone that was preparing the way of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, another prophet. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall come suddenly to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? He is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. So these are prophecies. You know, even the birth of Jesus. When, 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 when the wise men came all the way from the east and Jesus came, and the wise men came and they're looking for, for Jesus. They'd started their journey two years earlier and, and they come and they come to the place and we're looking for the king that's to be born. And, and they're all disputing. Well, you know, it says he'll arise out of Bethlehem or he'll arise out of this. But all these prophecies were true, but they weren't understood fully. But at a season of fulfillment, God began to bring them together. It was, it was Jesus, you know, the, the Bible said in Isaiah, you know, the regions that saw darkness will see great light. So you read Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus, he had to walk by a certain place, and Matthew writes, and this was fulfilled, that Jesus had to go here because they had to see, darkness had to see light. So there's a fulfillment that comes. Now, Malachi 4, this is, also speaking about the coming of the Lord. Remember you, the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Uh, so it identifies Moses in this, actually, and the statues and the judgments. Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn to full purpose. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, even in Jesus' time, there, there was different scriptures that came up and different interpretations of it. But let me, let me just walk a little bit through this with you, if you can, because well, you can read it later if you want, but in Matthew chapter 11, um, they were asking Jesus about John the Baptist. And, and then it's, Jesus would refer, refer, say, for this is he of whom it is written, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare, prepare the way before thee. So Jesus references him. And, and he actually says, among those born of men and women, there shall not arise a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, let's just go further here. So, this is a prophecy. Now, it's not a general prophecy, but it's more specific about the word coming to pass. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, John 1.19, I'd like you to follow through with me on this. This is now in the New Testament. John the Baptist comes the book of John, it said, this is the record of John when Jesus sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Okay, so 
What, what was it they were seeing? What was the attraction, John? Hey, there's a wild man in the desert. He's eating locusts and honey. He's calling, you know, he's calling the leaders snakes and vipers. And, and, and he's just, his language isn't very good. What's the attraction with John? What is it with this guy? Friends, we, we've had, in this last part of this year, if you, many of you heard about revivals that are happening at a Methodist college in, in Kentucky, the Asbury College. And there's revivals and there's a great attraction and there's many things that are happening. But what is the attraction? I'll, I could come to it, but you know, is it just the signs? Is it just the wonders? Is it just the media attention? Is it all of these things? What's the greatest attraction for us in this last day? Because we've had lots of things that we've seen, but we're desiring to find what God is in the middle of all of this. So here is, they're asking the question, who are you? And he confesses, and he denied not, he confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, he knew his place. And, and he, they ask him, what are you then? Are you Elias? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, look, they, 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 sometimes they want a, a direct answer. Well, well, who are you then? Verse 22, that we may give an answer to him that sent us. What do you say you are? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. Now what's he referring? He's taking prophecy that was written there, and he's stepping into that prophecy, and he's saying, that's ah, my duty. I am not the bridegroom, but I am the friend of the bridegroom. I'm standing by. I'm looking for the bridegroom. I I'm just trying to get you ready. Friends, in this last day, we needed a message to get ready for the coming of the Lord. We couldn't rely on what we had, our intellect, but God had to prepare us, to put us into expectation. And that was the same way it was at that time. Now, then they which were sent to the Pharisees, they asked him, why baptize thou if you're not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered and said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you know not. Now he's... He is, now just look at what's happened. It's been 400 years since the prophet of Malachi is gone. Now there, there's been John the Baptist comes on the scene. And, and this is what the world is seeing. We already know what Mary and Elizabeth had happened some years hence. But now is the time of fulfillment. And John is coming to fulfill his role. But he's not the one that everybody's really being pointed to. But he's saying... There's one coming after me. He's pointing to someone whose shoe latch I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in, in Bathoraba beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, maybe the Pharisees, all of the leaders of that day, they're standing there. Yeah, okay, voice in the wilderness, Isaiah 43. Okay, that's, that's in our scrolls. We see that. Yeah, yeah, maybe this is it. Maybe they're, they're pointing it. So John the Baptist is not identified now ju just as a prophet, but as a fulfillment of Scripture by a prophet. So he's more than a prophet. God had taken pains to identify him in the Scripture. It's not just somebody that rises up with a website and said, hashtag, I am a prophet. Yeah. 
And then somebody else says, yep, you are. Who, who said you are? Well, well, Gummy Bear 77 said that you're a prophet, so therefore, you must be a prophet. No, this was God fulfilling a prophet. This was God identifying a prophet. God took pains to vindicate John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was there, he was going to come before the Messiah. Now look at this. Here it was a prophet, and he was coming. He had a message. The scrolls were there. And he, he said, there's something unfolding. There's one among you already. And he's telling him, now next verse. And the next day. Now watch what happens between the day before and the next day. And the next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So the attention was changing from the prophet to the prophecy. In one day, John, from that moment, began to decline. John's ministry, six months, just getting a people ready. And he points to a man that's there. Behold, the Lamb of God. Now look at what God is foreshadowing in type. This is he who has said, after me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. So John didn't even know him. He was actually his cousin, but he didn't know him that way. He says, I say this, friends, our identification with the message is not by man. It's by God speaking to us. And I knew him not. In verse 32, in John bear record, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. It abode, it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with the water, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, just think about this for a minute. Here's John the Baptist. Imagine you were caught up. Imagine the revival of that day. Maybe there was an attention. What is going on? There's been revivals all through history. There's been the Azusa Street revival. There's been the healing revival. Men like Oral Roberts, men like, like, like Billy Graham, and men like Jack Coe and William Branham, and all of these. It was a revival. But out of the midst of that, what has come out of the midst of that? Okay, so there's a revival. Now John the Baptist, he is, he's coming and he's saying, you know, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, but there's one coming. And he's pointing, he's coming. And then one day he just turns around and said, this is him. Guys, this is the one. This is the one that said he would come. In this last day, Elijah the prophet has also come. And he says, I'm not the one. I must decrease, but he must increase. That's what we're attracted to. We're not attracted to just the prophet. But we're attracted to the fulfillment of the prophecy. That's what we're looking for. John the Baptist, he takes him. And he says, I have need to be baptized. He says, no, I need to be baptized. No, it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. He takes him down to the river and a dove descends. And it remains. It doesn't just a one-time anointing. No, this one stays. Friends, we are living. Listen, I'm, I, I need to take this off for a moment. But we are living in a time where it is a final generation. Yeah. 
It is not just an anointing that's coming on a people. But we are moving into eternity. We are not creatures of time. We are creatures of eternity. We are moving into that space. And we need to see ourselves as getting ready. Things that are to be. Our work, our walk on life is a preparation for an eternal walk. The voice of one calling in the wilderness. That, everybody looks at it. They couldn't understand. I, I thought it would be different. I thought it would be this way. But what was it? God fulfilling his word. Now, the prophets of old. Moses had to leave. The scrolls that were there. They were all foretelling something. I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers. I'll put words in his mouth. So it was Jesus who came. And when Jesus came, and he came and he He's up there at Mount Transfiguration with, jo- with Peter, James, and John. And he comes up there. And he's up there at Mount Transfiguration. Who is with him? Moses and Elijah. And Jesus is there. And the disciples and, and Peter in all of his wisdom and learning said, let's build three tra- tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And then a voice comes from heaven. This is my son. Hear ye him. Friends, we, we want to hear what God is speaking. There's many voices in the world today. But we want to hear what God is speaking to us. So, let's just move on. Behold, I'll send you Elijah before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. One purpose, he'll turn the heart of the fathers to the children Second purpose, he'll turn the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Jesus, in in Matthew 17, they ask him the question. And they said, why do the scribes say that Elias must come? And then now Jesus, look at how he answers this. He says, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. So he's saying there will be a restoration. Now, in Jesus' time, it was not the great and dreadful day of the Lord yet. But, but listen, the two, there's a compound meaning. Elias shall. In other words, he will come. In other words, future tense. But then he drops in the second part. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not, but they have done unto him whatsoever they listed. So, one fulfillment, I'll turn the hearts of the the fathers to the children. So the fathers would, would, would make way for another generation. So it would be the outpouring of the initial Pentecostal fathers. It would be the outpouring of the Holy Ghost among the people. That would make the way for the generations to come. And at the end of all of those generations, I'm going to take those children and I'm going to turn their hearts back to the fathers. Back to the original faith. Back to what God said he would do. That's what we've received. We're not receiving anything else than what the Bible promises. Now, let's just take this a couple steps further. Just bear with me. Prophecy. This is actually originally in Isaiah chapter 60. The Spirit of the Lord, 61. The, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Let the oppressed go free to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Stop. And he stops in the middle of a scripture. 
Because the next scripture was the days of vengeance of God. Jesus stops and fulfills the part that belongs to his first ministry on earth. He doesn't step into the days of vengeance, which is the last day ministry. But he stops there. So, so now, now let's take the context of it. Because this is happening in Luke chapter 4. So what happens is the priests, they invite Jesus to come and step up to take the scroll. He takes the scroll. He goes to Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. He reads verse 1, part of verse 2. And he stops. And then he sits down. And as he sits down, they're all looking at him. They're all wondering. And he says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. The greatest anointing was to take the portion of word that was allocated. He said, you're not just hearing an anointed man, but this is God fulfilling his word. Friends, what was the attraction back there? It was God fulfilling his word. Here's the, all they're, they're listening. Gracious words came out of his lips. They didn't understand what's going. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to watch this segment in the Chosen series in the video clip that they played, but it's powerful. And I believe some of these things ought to prompt us and, and provoke us to say, where was that at and where are we at? Now, so just go on a little further. Matthew 21 verse 1. I won't be, I'm getting to the end of my PowerPoint. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem, now this is some time later, they were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into a village over against you, straightway you'll find an ass tied, a colt with her, loose them, and bring them unto me. Now, if you take this, go to the book of Zechariah, I didn't put it here, Zechariah the ninth chapter, the ninth verse, and Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon the fold, a colt of the fold of ass. So Jesus now is coming. He is stepping into the scripture that was ordained for him. And he tells his disciples, you know, go over here. You're going to find uh, the, this little colt, never been ridden on. Bring him to me. I have need of him. And he says now, verse 3, And if any man say aught unto you, shall say, The Lord has need of him, and straightway he'll send in. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Does God watch over his word? Absolutely. I was just reading a little testimony Brother Doug Baker in Tucson gave to me. Brother Branham is preaching a message. I forget which message it was. But he's preaching, and there's a couple that wanted to be married. And they came to Brother Branham before the service, and they, he's just about to preach. It's one of the landmark messages. I don't know which one it was now. Uh, anyway, he's, he's about to preach, and they come, and they said, he said, well, would you like a private ceremony, or would you like a public? He said, well, we'll just do a private ceremony. And he says, okay, that's, that, that's wonderful. I thank, thank the Lord for that, he says. And, and so in, in, in this, he, he talks, and it was the message, God in simplicity is what it was. And he, he talks about, 
they, they, were, they were believing the message. They came down to see if they could get married. They were in the room before the service. Would you like that? Yes. So they began to pray. He married him. And, and Brother Branham just says, I was a little ways coming out. It was my first deity in this new church. I married a young woman. May it be that I'll be a loyal minister to Christ to get a bride ready for the ceremony that day. So while he's praying, um, there, the, the brothers, there's, there's another couple there. He says, there was a horrible birthmark on the side of the wife's face, and they dedicated her to the Lord. This, they said as they left, that scab started to deteriorate. She was very concerned. She opens Proverbs chapter 20. It says, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. She read this. So all of these things happened at that time, but now this person is a minister, or there's a child that's a minister of the gospel. God knows every part that we play. Every one of us, listen friends, it's not how great things we do. It's how faithful we are to what God calls us. Elijah had to be faithful to what God called him. Eleazar had to be faithful to his calling. You may need to be faithful in your calling as a housewife. You may need to be faithful in your calling as a school child or a minister, whatever it is. It's not how great we can do, but how faithful we are with what God gives us. That's what we need to be accountable to. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm interrupting in the middle of this, but so they come, they bring this cold. Jesus puts, they, get, they put their clothes on. And now in verse 8, a great multitude, now he's coming into the city. A great multitude spread their garments in the way. They cut down branches, they strawed them. And the multitudes went before him and they followed and they cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this is the fulfillment of scripture. And, this, and, and, and verse 10 it says, all the city was moved. It affected people. But this was the question, who is this? What's going on? Friends, if we could recognize, and we've all come to that place, sometimes there's things happening, it's a season, it's a time, and we say, what is going on? There's something moving I can't understand. But God is making his word become fulfilled. Friends, there, even the message that we love that God has made known. It's been an unfolding. The prophet says, what was the matter with those people? What was the matter with them? This was written 487 years old before. It was put in writings called the Bible. Why couldn't they see that the prophecy was being fulfilled? Look at everything that's happening. Look at what, what's, what's coming. Look at the things around us. History was being made. Prophecy was being fulfilled. Here's Brother Branham in 1962. He sees a vision beyond, or he sees some visions, and he speaks on, on the message. Sirs, is this the time? He asks a question. And then he talks about, now if the vision is a scriptural vision, it will be interpreted by the Bible. And he begins to take that and he begins to take that back and he, he relates all of these things and he's speaking and he's, could this be the time? Could this be the season? 1962, last day of the year. 
Now fast forward, 1965, here he is up on the mountain, on Mount Sunset, and, and, he's, and he's, he's saying how God had met him and how there had been a prophecy fulfilled, and an angel had come and visited him, and he says, now he says, what was happening? God fulfilling his word. In 1962, this was prophecy. Now in 1965, this is fulfilled. Friends, where are we at? We're not just in a stagnant message. It's unfolding. There's things that are happening. We need to be able to catch what God is doing. I'm not the prophet. I wasn't at Mount Sunset. I wasn't there for those things. But I believe that we are living in an unfolding that all of us are a part of. We're not just here to put our attention on a prophet. Listen, this, as great an event as this was, here comes the Messiah, God in flesh, riding into a city, and palm leaves, and Hosanna, and, and they're, they're just, everything is pouring out. And they're seeing their king coming unto them. One week later, he's being crucified. One week later, there is more than what we see sometimes. I, I'm reminded of Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah had made a prophecy. You can turn that off, Brother Dan. Elijah had made a prophecy, and he prophesied about Jezebel, and, 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 and we know that there was, there was a great meeting on, on Mount, the Mount back then. The next thing, Elijah, he finds himself in the wilderness. You know, here's this great thing. He slays all the prophets. Jezebel says, I threatened him, and he runs in the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness, he says, and this is actually in 1 Kings 18, if you want to read it, and, and verse 9, it says, the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken my covenant. They've thrown down in altars. They've slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord, now here, look at this, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break the places, the, the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. So this wind is coming through, and it says it was the Lord, but the Lord wasn't really in that. And it says, and then after that, there was the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, a still small voice. And it's so when Elijah heard it that he rent, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out. And he stood in the entering of the cave and the voice came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? So listen, friends, that's the voice that we want to hear. What are you doing here? And he, he begins to share. So look at there was this earthquake, there was this wind, there was this fire, and it says, but really it was the voice that attracted him. You know the story that's often been told about the eagle that was raised in a chicken yard. I'm just going to be a couple more minutes and I'll be done. Eagle that was raised in a chicken yard, and it tried to fit in with the chickens. It tried to eat the same food that the chickens were eating. It tried to do all of these things, but this mother eagle knew it had an egg somewhere. 
and it began flying in the skies. And, and it wasn't so much that this, this, see, you know, an eagle, chickens always look down at the ground. But an, but an eagle, when it looks up, when it catches what's above, when it catches the heavenly, when it catches all of that. So it wasn't even looking that way, but it took a voice. And it took the eagle scream. And all of a sudden, when it heard that scream, it identified with what was up there. And it said, I'm a part of that. And it began to call it higher. And it jumped on a fence. You can fly higher than that. Friends, God has left a portion in every age. As Jesus said, he would, he would tell him in Matthew chapter 13, he said, I have sent this unto you. You've received it gladly. He says, what is it? There's a, there's a people that have an identification within. You, it's a seed that's planted. You can't help it. It, it goes beyond the natural senses. It goes beyond what your brain thinks, what your emotions think. It goes down deep. It's God that placed something in you that would receive what he sends in that day. Here was this great time, this great event. I'm just winding down my thoughts here. All of them were waiting, and here comes first John the Baptist. Then comes the Messiah himself. And then he goes away and he says, but I'm going to come again. But before I come, I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. So before I even come a second time, Elijah's going to come on the scene. I was reading an article, Peanuts, I think it was, what was the guy's name? Charles Schultz the, wrote the Charlie Brown and, and things. And I remember reading it one time, and it was many years ago, and it, you know the dog, Snoopy was on the doghouse, he always laid on top of the doghouse. I don't know how he laid there, because it's a point, right? I don't know how he felt comfortable, but you know, in 2D you can do a lot of things you can't do in 3D. So he, he was there, and then the, the cry came out, of, I don't know if it was Lucy or whatever her name was, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the world, and, and the dog goes tumbling down, and he's laying there at the bottom, and in the last scene of the, of the script, of, of, the, of the cartoon, and, and, and the dog is saying, but I thought Elijah was supposed to come first. Do you remember when it was like at Jesus' time, when Jesus was crucified, and then there was a great earthquake, and he died, and he gave up. And the scripture says, and all these things were done that the scripture had to be fulfilled. And while he was standing there, there was an earthquake, there was lightning, there was things beyond just a man dying. And the centurion looks up and he says, truly, this was the Son of God. I don't want to recognize a past tense. I want to say, Lord, make it real to me today. I want to be ready for what you're doing. Friends, the attraction of the hour is not just the prophet. As much as we love the prophet. But the attraction of the hour, it's moved from the prophet to the prophecy. And from the prophecy, it's actually going beyond, and that's another message. But it's moving into the fulfillment. And we want to be in the fulfillment of it. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be, Lord, I, I, I believe it's the end of the world. I want to be ready. I don't know how you feel this morning. Listen, this was elementary and simple in its approach this morning, but I think it's good to rehearse these things.
I say it for some of our young people. It's good to see the pictures of what's happened and what's happening. And maybe somebody who's heard it all the time or not heard it. But this is what God is doing. Let's have the musicians come. Thank you for being patient with me this morning. Trust that maybe out of all of that, something is said that is a benefit and a help. And, and whatever I didn't get right, may God fill in the pieces. But I believe we're living in a great hour. Let me, let me conclude with just a scripture out of the book of Revelations. Revelations chapter 1, it would say this. You know, a book of Revelations is a book that is misunderstood, but I think there's more clarity on this book by what God has sent us than ever before. Revelations chapter 1, and it would say this in verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I, I believe these things have come so that we can be ready. You know, there's going to come a time in this message, because the Spirit, the prophet, and the bride will all say the same thing. Listen, it, it, will, it will go on in the last book of the Bible, last chapters of the Bible. It will say this in Revelations 22, verse 17, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that's a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If you add to it, God will add the plagues. If you take away, God will take you away your part out of the book of life. And he testified, surely I come quickly. Let's just play something softly. You know, we're coming into a change of season. It's winter out there. I think this week it turns to spring. But it's already starting to change. You can already see the sun is coming into position. Things are melting. We're moving into springtime. Oh, doesn't that make your heart just lift? Oh, it's wonderful. Don't need to take a southern vacation. You can just stay here and it's coming. You know what the discouraging part is? It might be another month and a half before a green blade of grass or a green leaf comes out on a tree. But we're in the season. It might take a little while for it to happen, but we're in the season. I believe we're in the season. He's coming soon. It's, it's not a far off. All the signs are pointing to it. And like it was in Jesus' time, the scribe said, but I thought Elijah had to come. He's come already, and you didn't know it. I believe he's come. I believe he's here. Elijah's God is here for sure. But the message of Elijah is the one that's getting us ready. As it was said in the scriptures, Malachi 4, even what Jesus said in Matthew 17, he shall first come. All of these things point to his coming. I believe we're in that time. Let's sing this song, We Are in the Season of the Coming of the Lord. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's sing that. We are in the season of the coming of the Lord. The signs are all around us, and the word has been restored. You can take away the promise.
Of the coming of the Lord. 